One of my favorite comedians these days is a guy named Trey Kennedy. And uh, Trey plays uh, different characters. One of the characters that he plays is uh, Maddox, the middle schooler. See if uh, any of this rings a bell. How about you say grace for us? Why? Because I asked you to. I don't want to. Young man, just do it. <laughs> Dear God, thanks. Amen. Are All you right, serious? Your room. What? Really? what? I prayed! Dear God, I... No, too late. Get up. What? Hey, shoes off the table. Why? I said take your shoes They're off. They're clean. Young man. Hey, I will in a sec. No, you'll do it now. I'm... I'm now. doing it. All right. Okay, give me your phone. I took them off. No, what do you, you want from me? You want your attitude. Oh. Excuse me. What, what are you Mom! No first. What are you doing? Well, nothing. Doing your fortnights? You should be doing your stop, chores. Mom, stop. Are you ready for bed? Yes. Have you brushed your teeth? I, I don't know. I, last I checked, I, I don't know. Brush your teeth. Are you kidding? Hey, five minutes, Mom. Five minutes. Turn it off. Get up. Do it now. <laughs> Great. Do it. There. Okay, I'm getting your father. I did it. I did it. No, I'm getting your father. What did I say about picking up your shoes? Okay, I will in a minute. Pick them up now. Come on. Oh my gosh, Mom. Oh, I, all right. Okay. Now what? Watch it. I picked them up. Now what? Are we out of water bottles? Yes, I'm going to the store today. Oh. What are you doing? We don't have any water bottles! <laughs> I've got two middle schoolers living in my house right now. They don't act anything like Maddox. I was, uh, I was thinking about this character when, when I was working on this message. Um, the entire message is part of our Future Fruit series is really about how we're supposed to engage as a church to be an invitational culture, a place where people want to, uh, where, where, uh, where you're going to invite friends and family, uh, neighbors, co-workers to church. And, and I was imagining myself sitting where you're sitting, having a pastor tell me that I'm supposed to do this thing. And the truth is, I'd probably feel a lot like Maddox. Why? <laughs> but I don't want to. So weird, because way too often, uh, when somebody tells me I'm supposed to do something, especially when I know that I'm supposed to do it, I don't know what it is. It's probably just my own like rebellious in nature. Like I just like I don't like that. Especially when I know it's something I'm supposed to do. This morning, I don't want to tell you or try to convince you of why you should invite someone to TLC. I have honestly little, very little desire to do that. What I'd rather do is try to help you understand what compels me and what has compelled people for the last 2,000 years to do that very thing. Um, this message is not about what you have to, ought to, or need to. It's more about why you get to. And I'd like to do this by inviting you to sit at a bonfire with me. I love bonfires. We're like moving into prime bonfire season, are we not? To, to me, there's just something about the smell of a bonfire. The, the flames in a bonfire, they're just like mesmerizing. 
cooking hot dogs, hamburgers, s'mores over an open bonfire. Uh, I'll be driving down the road sometimes, and somebody's got a bonfire going in the backyard, but you get a whiff of it in the car, like you got the AC on or the heat on or whatever, and like it like coming. You know, like you're, we're drawn to the, to I, I am. I'm drawn to bottle. I just love them. I love when my, when my sweatshirt still smells like bonfire smoke the next day. And our story uh, this morning takes place around a bonfire. It's uh, the last story in John's gospel. It's actually the third time that Jesus meets with the disciples after his resurrection. And there's an opportunity for us to learn to be reminded to even experience what Jesus did on that day 2,000 years ago for you and I today. So if you have your Bibles, welcome to open up with me in John chapter 21. Verse 1 says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. I'll just give you a couple of quick maps just so you can kind of center your understanding. This is a map of Israel. You can see at the very bottom, you got the Dead Sea, and up at the top in the northern part of Israel is the Sea of Galilee, okay? The Sea of Galilee is really, when we, we hear the word sea, we think of like a big, it's more like an inland lake. It's not like Lake Michigan, it's more like Lake Makatawa in its size. If we were to zoom in onto the Sea of Galilee with the next map, you'll see that Capernaum and Bethsaida are on the top kind of part of Galilee. Jesus did much of his ministry on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And the story that we're looking at today happens kind of in between those two cities, those two towns on a beach. This is actually the beach that we're pretty confident that what we're about to read actually happened. It's the northern part of the Sea of Galilee right there. John said, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, also known as Doubting Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. So there's seven of them. They're no longer in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified and was resurrected. They have now gone back to their hometown. They're not sure. They've seen Jesus already at least twice before. We don't know how long he... He spent with them how much time he was with them, but they've seen Jesus and interacted with him twice before, but they're still not real sure what's happening, what's going to happen. And so at least these seven, if not all 12, have gone back home. And Simon Peter, who's always been the leader of the disciples, 
the most outspoken, most vocal of the disciples. Uh, he's really kind of been uh, one, of the, one of three main characters in John's gospel. Uh, Peter shows up at all the important points. Um, certainly Jesus is, of course, the main character of John's gospel, but Peter and also the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is how John describes himself. <laughs> They're like the three kind of main characters. And Peter shows up all the important spots when Jesus is first calling the disciples, uh, actually on that probably similar area to that same beach. They've been out fishing, and Jesus says, after a miraculous catch of fish, that they should leave their nets and come and follow him. And Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter does that very thing. When Jesus is doing one of his teachings, Peter is the first one to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus says, you're right, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. He renames him from Simon to Peter, which means rock, the original Dwayne Johnson. When Jesus has a moment where he is uh, transfigured, Peter's there. Peter says something stupid. This is what Peter does all the time. When Jesus is being confronted by his first betrayer, Peter is right there. And then, just a few hours later, Peter has another moment with Jesus that's super important. And now we get to the very end of John's gospel, and John is sharing one more post-resurrection story. Peter. He says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, verse 3, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Scholars think that uh, Peter's at a place where he just doesn't know what to do next. He's just had literally the biggest failure of his entire life, just maybe a week or so earlier. And he's not sure if he can come back from it. He doesn't know what's next. And so he kind of has this mentality, well, I just better get on with life. Uh, Peter was a fisherman before, so he goes back to Galilee, where his extended family's at, where the family business is, and he decides, I don't know what else to do, so I guess I'll go back to fishing. Well, Peter, being the leader, the other disciples like, well, I, I guess we'll go with you. And so they do. They go out. And they fish all night long. It's the best time to fish. You're more likely to catch fish at night. Now, this is not like rod and reel, you know, where you're throwing a lure out. And... These are nets. And it's a cast net. It's a net. It's got weights around the edge, and they take it and throw it out, spins out, opens up, hits the water, and then sinks down to the bottom. And any fish that are... Above the net, as it sinks down, it traps them. They try to swim out, and then the fisherman, after it's gone all the way to the bottom, will pull the net back in, making sure that those weights have now come together and see what fish are trapped inside the net. All night long. 
nothing. Nothing. And now the sun is starting to come up on the horizon. It's getting lighter and lighter. Entire night. You ever been fishing all night? I, I, I'll be honest, I don't like fishing. I like catching. Don't like fishing. The thought of fishing all night long without a single catch sounds just terrible. Uh, not only that, but it's got to be a bit of a bruise to the ego. And Peter's a professional fisherman. He's got his, like, Bass Pro Shops hat on, okay? Like your boy knows what he's doing. He's decked out in huck. I think that's a fishing brand. I don't know. And the whole night he's out there and he's catching nothing, nothing, nothing. He's supposed to know where all the good spots are. They're paddling from place to place, looking to that spot, and oh, there's this little indentation in the bottom of the lake floor here. I bet we'll catch nothing, nothing, nothing. And now it's light and starting to come back to the shore. The text says that... uh, There's somebody who begins to speak to them. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? (laughs) I just love this. Jesus is messing with them. (laughs) He knows. And he also knows that there's no way that he could know, at least from their perspective, right? It's not that light out. He can't see what's in the boat. He hasn't seen what's been going on all night, but Jesus knows. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. So Jesus says to them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Can you imagine how annoyed Peter must have been in this moment? The boat's not that big, all right? The boat's not even as wide as this little part of the teaching stage. The right side of the boat or the left side of the boat don't make no difference. We're talking a matter of a few feet. They've been fishing all night and have caught nothing. And now some rando who's up on the shore, not even in a boat fishing, trying to tell me, the professional fisherman, oh, just throw it on the right side of the boat. Sure thing. But this isn't the first time that a rando has told Peter where to put down his nets. And so the disciples do just as the mysterious man on the shore says, and they throw it on the right side of the boat. And it says, when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, (laughs) a.k.a. the author of this book, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord, it's Jesus As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Isn't that an interesting little note that John puts in there for us? Why why does he say that? And not only that, but why does Peter do what he does? 
He's about to swim in. And he decides he's going to grab his outer cloak and throw it on to then swim in. You ever swam with your clothes on before? It's not that easy. You want to make it worse? Get your winter coat, throw that on, and then jump in the water. That's what Peter does. Why? We don't really know. I think it was actually, though, because Peter thought he was going to walk in. I think Peter realized that it was Jesus and threw on his jacket because he's like, I'm about to jump in and walk on water to see him. But he doesn't. (laughs) Sploosh into the water. Now he's got (laughs) to swim 100 yards in. Uh, The text doesn't tell us. It says that the boats followed him in the water. But the fact that they followed him in the water makes it sound like he didn't get to the shore much before they did. Verse 8. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I love that. Come and eat with me. Come to my table. Come and share a meal. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Come and have breakfast with me. I've been waiting for you. I've got fish and bread, fresh baked. And for everybody that was sitting around that little bonfire, the scent of smoke and fish, fresh bread, what was what was filling their nostrils? But for Peter, it was not the scent of a bonfire. It was the scent of regret. Uh, You see, Peter had been with Jesus at a bonfire not that long ago. John actually records this story for us in John chapter 18. It's the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, the first disciple to betray him. Jesus has been arrested and is at the high priest's house. And Peter, who promised that he would never leave Jesus' side, would never betray Jesus, was even willing to die with Jesus, is now following behind. This is a modern house, not a first century house. Pretty dope one at that. 
But it kind of gives a little bit of the picture of what Peter may have experienced. You've got a sunken courtyard, place to gather, a fire pit where people can warm themselves, and you can see right up into the house. It's far enough away that you probably can't hear everything that's being said back and forth, but you can see all the action happening. John records this in chapter 18, but he's rather lengthy in his description. So let me read to you from Luke chapter 22. Luke says it a little bit more succinctly. Luke chapter 22, verse 54, Luke says, Then seizing him, that is Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Bro, I can tell by your accent, you sound like you're from up north. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Do you ever wish you could have a do-over? Maybe it was the party you were at this past weekend. You did that thing you said you would never do. Maybe it was that conversation with that guy at work that led to another conversation, that led to flirting, that led to, and you wish you could have a do-over. Maybe it's that thing that you said about your friend that wound up getting back to him. Uh, maybe it's that decision to quit. To quit on that one thing that you knew you should never have quit. Uh, maybe it was the decision to keep going with that one thing you knew you shouldn't keep going with. And instead of the smell of bonfire, that smell is the smell of regret. The smell of shame, the smell of disappointment, the smell of, man, I just wish I could have a do-over. We all live with regrets. And at this moment in the story, nobody knows that better than Peter. He's supposed to have been the one who was going to lead the disciples on. He's supposed to be the one who is the strongest. The one with so much promise and he's blown it. And he's asking the question, is there any way back? Is there any hope? Is it possible for me, even though I've blown it? Right now, Peter, I don't think, believes there is. It's why he's gone back to Galilee. 
It's why he's gone back to fishing. Well, I guess I better get on with life. Uh, Johnny felt the same way. Johnny had uh, grown up in a, in a Christian home. Jesus captured his heart when he was in high school, continued to grow it in college. Uh, but Johnny, like uh, many of us here, uh, found himself struggling with pornography when he was in uh, middle school and high school. College felt it a little bit as well, the struggle the failure and the shame, but he started to find uh, some help with accountability and community, wound up in, uh, after college, working as a, as a youth pastor. It was his passion. He loved students, wanted them to experience so much of what he had experienced himself, met the girl of his dreams. He had had girlfriends before, but he had never really loved someone the way that he loved Amanda. He wanted Amanda to to know how special she was, and he treated her with honor and kindness. About the time that they were to get married, uh, Johnny landed a new job as a pastor, a church here in West Michigan, a great church. He was so excited about the role and the position and the impact that he could have. Uh, he and Amanda got married, and they moved to this new place, and right off the bat, Johnny and Amanda found that there were some difficulties in their marriage, some things they didn't anticipate, some disappointments. And Johnny had found that uh, he was now in a new place, and the accountability that he had previously and some of the community he had previously uh, wasn't there. And as a way to just try to escape some of the disappointments and some of the questions he had about was he really good enough to be doing the thing that he was doing to have, he started to find himself just kind of falling back into pornography a little bit. The shame, the covering up, and the lying, and eventually that wasn't enough, and he started to realize that there was a couple of women that when he talked to them, they seemed to respond, and when he flirted with them, they also seemed to respond, and one thing led to the next, and Johnny, as a pastor here in West Michigan, had found himself not just struggling silently with pornography, but now had actually had an affair with a couple of different women, and he hated himself for it, felt like such a fraud and a fake. He really did believe in Jesus, but he found himself trapped disgusted and filled with shame and so he started drinking to try to numb the pain that he was constantly in. He started shutting down with his own wife even communicating. Johnny uh, said this, he said, I began the cycle of lying. So much of my energy and time was spent on how do I hide everything and it just keeps piling up. I didn't want Amanda to know about my alcohol use or anything else, so I eventually began drinking on my own or hiding it, and not, just not telling her about it, finding ways to basically embezzle money from our budget so that I could drink a ton and numb the pain. All this is going on, and all I can think is, Johnny, you are such a scumbag. And I realize that she's going to find out. And she can't. She can't find out. I can't let that happen. So that was the day that I decided that it was time to take my life. 
I rearranged my schedule for the next day so that I could drive out to a meeting. And I knew I was going to be able to take my motorcycle just by myself on the way up there. And if I drove fast enough in this certain spot, I knew I'd be able to kill myself. Knowing that I was going to leave early the next morning, I purposefully put my two sons, my two baby boys to bed, and I said goodnight to them. But in my heart, I was actually saying goodbye. I remember kissing Amanda and telling her that I loved her over and over so many times as my way of saying goodbye. As I lay in bed, I thought, I'll be gone, but my legacy will still be intact. I won't be this pastor that's just another member of the Hall of Shame. Johnny was wondering if there was any way back, just like Peter. And it's in John 21, in Peter's moment of vulnerability, Peter's moment of shame, the bonfire reminding him exactly of what he had done. His lowest moment in his life. That Jesus does the most beautiful thing for Peter. Jesus actually takes Peter for a walk. And on that walk, Jesus asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And the first time, Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. He says again, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. He says, Peter, feed my lambs. And then a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? At this point, Peter's emotional. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, Peter, feed my sheep. When I used to read that, I used to think Jesus was kind of rubbing it in. Like, all right, man, you messed up three times, so you're going to get hit three times. But I don't think that's actually what's going on at all. I think Jesus is giving Peter a redo for each one of those denials. You see, there were actually two disciples that betrayed Jesus on that fateful night. Judas and Peter. Judas runs from Jesus and takes his own life. Peter runs to Jesus and finds grace and mercy, love, restoration at his lowest moment. Because that's who Jesus is. And now Johnny has to decide which disciple he's going to pattern his life after. Which betrayer, which failure is he going to follow? And he woke up early that next morning, realized he didn't want to be Judas. 
He wanted to be Peter. He got on his knees and he confessed. He said, God, I don't know if you can do anything with me, but I want you. And, and then he had to do some of the really hard work of going and confessing to Amanda and later that day to the leadership at his church. And Jesus met Johnny with the same grace and love that he met Peter. Amanda shared about that day. She says this, I just remembered the way my stomach dropped when Johnny said, Amanda, I have to tell you something. And I knew I just had that sinking feeling like something terrible was coming. And it just felt like I got hit with one truth after another after another. I felt like I was being beaten down, like everything inside of me was simply breaking apart. She says, I left the house after the conversation. And as I was driving, just to try to sort through my thoughts, God spoke to me and said, if you'll let me, I can take you guys to a place that you can't imagine. She says, I was drowning in pain and yet somehow I still had this strange sense of hope. She said, I knew someone that a year earlier had gone through something similar with her husband. We met up at a park soon after everything had come out and something she shared just changed me. She said, Amanda, God is saving you and your husband right now. And it shocked me because I'm like, what do you mean he's saving us? It feels like he's killing us. But in spite of my pain, I could see she was right. This is what God does. He steps into the mess and he fights for you and alongside you. She said, I look back and see God was so loving and patient with Johnny, waiting for him to come to repentance. And that patience and grace and mercy didn't just change Johnny, it changed me and it changed us. Friends, that's the Jesus that I've encountered too. It's the same Jesus that Peter encountered at the fire. It's the same Jesus that Johnny encountered when he brought his shame and his brokenness and his failure to Jesus. When Amanda brought her devastation to Jesus, he met them with open arms, with grace and forgiveness and restoration because that's who Jesus is. It does not mean that Jesus is not also full of truth. He absolutely is. But when we come to him in our brokenness, Jesus promises not to push us away. He doesn't look down his nose at us. Peter was expecting judgment. And instead, he received mercy and grace. He was restored. Jesus told him three times, you have a job. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter, I still have a job for you. And that's true for Johnny and Amanda as well. It's what I've experienced and what I want you to experience today. Jesus meets us at our lowest point, not with judgment, but with grace. He's the God of second chances. He's the God of restoration the God of redemption, the God of forgiveness, the God of freedom. It's who he is. It's what he wants for you. I don't want to try to tell you why you should invite somebody to church. What I want is for you to experience a church that actually is the hands and feet, the heart and mind of Jesus. 
that when you come to Jesus with a humble and contrite heart, he will not cast you out. No, he envelops you. He brings you near and close with grace and love, with mercy and forgiveness. Jesus' greatest desire is to forgive his children. It's hard for my heart to believe that sometimes, but oh, how I need to be reminded and how I think you need to be reminded as well this morning. So right now, I just want to take a moment and I just want you to sit with Jesus at the, at the bonfire. So go ahead and close your eyes. And just imagine yourself. Imagine yourself right now in this moment It's you and Jesus. He knows everything about you. He knows your mistakes and your failures. But he's not looking at you with disgust. He's not thinking of you with judgment. His arms are open. someone here today, it might be the day that you need to just give yourself to Jesus for the first time. You need to invite him in to accept the forgiveness that he offers, the restoration, the new life. If that's you, just talk to Jesus. Just tell him. Just say, Jesus, I believe in you. Your death and your resurrection I need you in my life. I give you control. I can't fix myself. Forgive me. Forgive me and come into my life. Take over. If that's you today, if that's a prayer that you prayed, invite Jesus in for the first time. I'd like to be able to pray for you in just a minute. If that was you, just, just pop your hand up just so I can pray for you. some of you, you're sitting in here and you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, but man, you've just been gone for a minute. And you're wondering, is there a do-over for me? Would Jesus take me back? Does he still have plans for my life? If that's you this morning, I want to be able to pray for you as well. Go ahead and raise your hand. Just, just real brief. I can see it. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. Anybody else? Father God, you, you see our hearts. And Jesus. You are love. 
John said that, Jesus, you are full of grace and truth. And where grace and truth meet, that's where real love exists. God, for those folks that that today have said, like, they want in. They want you. Jesus, see their hearts. Let them experience your, your grace, your mercy. Let it just pour out over them. God, for all of us in this place, God, let us never forget the second and third and 30th and 300th and 3,000th chance that you give to us. We'll never plumb the depths of your grace. And so we say thank you. In Jesus' name.